one. Okay, uh, thank you very much for being patient, Pete. But finally, we got you on the podcast. Uh, officially, guys, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Peter Miller. He is a uh, fighter, a nutritionist, and he's an accredited nutritionist. Uh, you can follow him on his Instagram at condition.nutrition. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, spot on. Awesome. awesome. Pete, welcome to the podcast, man. How you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to a good chat. Good. Now, right off the, off the bat, man, uh, i got to ask, what made you want to come on to us today, considering that we're quite a developing podcast like that? What made you want to reach out? Um, I've seen that you do quite a lot of MMA and combat sports content, and um, I'm all about educating people in, in the terms of combat sports nutrition, so I thought I'd reach out and um, hopefully give some education out to um, your listeners. Awesome, man. So tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get into the role of becoming a nutritionist? Okay, um, so I'll go back a little bit further. So as you can tell, I'm not Australian, so I'm from Liverpool. Um, I originally yes, was studying studying plumbing, and I realised when I was about 18, I was like, mm, this isn't for me. Um, I always had a keen interest in sports, so um, went to college to the sports course and ended up doing a sports science degree. And then when I, I always remember when I first did my sports science degree, I thought, oh, it's really hard, like physiology, biomechanics, psychology. I was like, oh, this is bloody hard. And mm-hmm. I realised I was actually quite good at it. So I stuck at it um, and then ended up doing a master's. And then I had my, I set up my consultancy business about 2016 um, with my general pop um, clients and some athletes and then, I moved to Australia in 2017, and then I started working in an online capacity. So um, mainly the um, how I got into sort of the combat sports nutrition. I had a couple of guys um, competing at jiu-jitsu comps, wants a bit of advice in terms of diet plans, and then it sort of went from there, really. went from a couple of people to then that's my main focus of it. Um, working area now so it's, a, it's, a, it's an exciting area to be in because it's such a growing it's such a growing area compared to you know other sports you know like football rugby where there's just tons and tons of research with, with combat sports it's, it's just it's continuously developing so it's a it's a good time to be involved in it mm, interesting so there was a few things that was definitely within that uh, first of all I gotta ask man what football team do you support <laughs> Liverpool. Hey, I knew I fucking, fucking knew it. Uh, well, that's okay, man, because the thing is, Liverpool is one of those, it is one of those teams that a lot of people out here in Australia love to support. Me, personally, I grew up in Romford, which is the East End. Uh, oh, and uh, so I'm a West Ham United supporter. So oh, I grew up cool. there, yeah. So, uh, but the thing is, with my accent, I'm not sure if you can hear it. It's very, very faint. I noticed huh. your Scouse accent uh-huh. uh, coming through on the other end. Anyway, um, the, the season started now. So I was going to ask, man, if you were, a, uh, I'm guessing you're a fan of football. Did you ever become a nutritionist for uh, football players? Um, I did. I've done a little bit of work with, with soccer players, um, football players. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a bit of a different area like, because a lot of clubs have sort of a set nutritionist. So it's not really a, a one-to-one kind of basis. And it's quite. I always remember when I when I finished my studies, it was a really hard area to actually to get into um, football because it's because so, it, 
the club and they've got so much of a team around it. I think that's a good thing about with, with combat sports nutrition is it, you can you can work face to face, you can work remotely. It's it's um, and obviously with the developing area of, of social media, um, like online online works quite interesting at the moment. Wow. Okay. So, and then what point down the line did you realise that you wanted to go uh, go into uh, becoming a focus mainly on combat sports nutritionist? I've well, I've always, I've always, you know, followed combat sports for years, like um, like boxing and stuff like that. Um, it's just a, an area that I think it was sort of the more I worked into it, the more it was, it was a interesting area because of the mainly. Well, one of the main reasons because it was such a there's such poor nutrition practices in combat sports, and I was like, right, this is this is a really good area to go into, and really. Um, sort of educate people on better practices and making weight, you know, even in terms of just performance. Because, for example, if you wanted to look at, um, you know, recovery supplement guide for a soccer player, you type it on Google Scholar or any sort of search engine, you'd find articles and articles and articles, you know, evidence-based research. You type in making weight in combat sports, there's like maybe two pages. So it's like, like, it's really, it's, it's, I just find that age really interesting and it's like in terms of the culture as well. And, you know, um, yeah, I think it just really came from just starting work with a couple of people and just getting, just learning more and how you can make such a, a difference on, on a fighter's like overall health and performance. Interesting. So you mentioned that the, the, the nutritional practices for combat athletes were quite poor behind uh, just recently. In what way were they poor? Um, I think the thing with, with a lot of combat sports, it's, it's a culture and, you know, combat sports athletes are some of the, you know, the toughest athletes going, you know, they'll, they'll do anything to, you know, make the weight, you know, to perform. And you'll see, because, because there was, there's, there's always been not a lot of research in that area. People have just been doing, doing these like weight making practices by, you know, the coach did it this way. So it worked this way. He lost, you know, Oh, it's okay. He lost. He lost seven kilos in the the sauna night before. Oh, so you done it? Oh, that's okay for you to do it. And then it's a lot of like you know, no no sort of evidence basis. What 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 works for the coach works for them, and and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, some of the like even just from working with the new clients, like some of the stuff that people have done, like literally like mind blowing. It's like, um, you know, sitting in the sauna for three hours, losing seven kilos, not eating for, you know, four days before the weigh-in. It's like, this is like, it's it's, it's like mind-blowing how, like, bad some of the practices are. It's like, yeah, it's just, uh, and it, it's crazy that it's still, it's still going on and on. And um, hopefully there's people like me and other people in this area that can really put a mark on it and, and educate fighters to do better practices. Understood, understood. Now, um, uh, one thing, by the way, guys, if you're not following Peter on Instagram, it is condition.nutrition, which I highly recommend uh, you do, by the way. Sorry, we lost you there for a second. Can you see me? What's up? Yeah, oh, that's it, yeah. Anyway, uh, so one thing you put up a post about really recently was uh, fueling the female athlete carbohydrate and protein recommendations. Now, in short, um. What can you sum up about that Instagram post that's really important for our viewers to know, especially for the females? 
Okay, so in terms of the different stages, the menstrual cycle, it has different effects on sort on your carbohydrate storage. So for example, the early stage, which is the um, follicular stage, um, your ability to store carbohydrates is is limited. So in terms of a female athlete, that could be implications of you know recovery from the next session. Um, you know, if you like, for example, like an MMA athlete, they may train train twice a day. If your ability to store carbohydrates is limited, that may affect performance from the next session. Um, also, in terms of protein um, requirements, that's that phase also that your protein recommendations go up. Um, due to just different hormonal concentrations, so it's um, so in terms of the so I'm trying, I'm trying to break, break it down a bit easier. <laughs> um, yeah, so so different, so basically different phases of the menstrual cycle have different protein recommend, recommendations. So the material phase, your protein recommendations will be less compared to the follicular phase. So it's it's a really interesting here because. With the female athlete, as I was mentioned before, in terms of um, soccer players and stuff like that, there's heaps of research on male athletes, and there's not a lot of research on female athletes. So it's it's really cool to sort of see how how the different requirements of females are compared to males, and that, and all all in terms of weight weight cutting also. So different phases of the menstrual cycle can affect fluid retention. So really, when you're working with a female athlete, you really need to have a really good assessment of, you know, ask ask the questions when the menstrual cycle starts and, you know, the days and stuff like that, because that can affect, you know, potentially missing weight. Very interesting. Very interesting. So that's a, so it definitely varies depending on the menstrual cycle. And then also certain points after you say increase their protein, and all that yeah interesting I, I, I didn't really yeah it's, it's one it, it's one of them areas as well where you could you could probably talk about the male athlete and maybe like you know 10 20 minutes the female athletes you could, you could spend days talking about because there's so many different you know because male hormones pretty much stay consistent you know testosterone doesn't really fluctuate that much but with female hormones like estrogen you know they they fluctuate so that can have a massive impact on performance and you know in terms of weight making that can make a big difference in terms of fluid retention it's, it's important that you uh interesting you brought it up because one thing that i've always been against is uh weight cutting um i'm yeah. never i've never been a fan of weight cutting i'll give you a little bit of a um personally for myself i am not someone who likes to even weight cut uh because yeah. I, I'll just give you a little bit of context. I competed in the BJJ competition over the weekend and I was at my natural, I always like to stay where I, was, I wanted to do was I competed at 82 kilograms and then I had a choice so I could cut down to 76. I absolutely refused. Um, yeah. Cut down like, because well, one of the reasons why I was solely against weight cutting is even though like these fighters, they go for these drastic cuts but then again, it's sort of up in the air about testosterone. Like if someone's going through like a drastic weight cut, surely the t- uh, their testosterone is going to be very, very low because they're not getting, uh, or does it have any effect on it at, at all? Uh, you're talking to someone yeah. who has very limited knowledge of nutrition, by the way. Yeah. So I'll give you a really good case study. Um, so it was a case study that came out a couple of years ago. 
So he was an MMA guy. He needed to lose, I think, 18% of his body weight uh, in, nine, in nine weeks. So they originally did an assessment of his body fat, his, his resting metabolic rate, etc. It's all done like a university lab. Um, so from eight weeks out to fight week, so one, one week out, I think he lost, he lost like, I think he lost, I think he lost like something like six kilos. So then with fight week, he had to lose another seven or eight kilos. And the way to do that, he did like repeated like hot baths, you know, really, really strict calorie deficit. And then they took his blood after the weight cut and he had signs of acute kidney damage. His testosterone levels were the lowest, the lowest reported on record. It was, I think it was like, I think it was a three, three nanomol, which is like, it, it's never been recorded on any sort of scientific paper. And his sodium level, so sodium, so I think 145 is, is, is pretty much average uh, sodium levels. And then I think his was like 148, which is like towards intensive care patients and like that sort of level. So he's in a really bad way. And it's crazy to think like this guy, like refueled and then competed in an event. It's like, it's, 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 it's insane to think about like what these guys go through. And the, the even scarier thing about that is, you know, this guy had, you know, top researchers around and taking his bloods and stuff like that. The average Joe who's doing them cuts, you know, a couple of times a year in his bath in his house doesn't get that, doesn't get the privilege to get that knowledge. That makes sense. Yeah. So doing that over a period and period of time, it's gonna take. It's like there's been no long term studies on it, but it's definitely gonna take a, a hit on the body, especially like your kidneys and just that complete yo yo dieting. Yeah. Like I gotta ask, man, from your point of view, how much is too much in terms of percentage of body weight? Do you reckon in terms of loose uh, cutting? It, it all it's it's all depends on context, really. So. If, if the fighter's got a decent, it comes to me like a decent amount of time out, eight to 10 weeks out, for example, even though a lot of MMA is, is a lot shorter than that, maybe six to eight. And they, for example, they've got, got eight kilos to lose. You go, okay, you can work it out, try and work out calorie deficit for the, for like the six week period up until fight week. You can lose maybe like half kilo a week. And we know from doing acute weight loss strategies that you can lose safely. Around six to ten percent of your body weight come fight week. However, you've got to, the big mistake that fighters do is the, the cut's too big, they cut the food out far too early, and then it comes to fight week. And so I'll give an example. You could so one gram of carbs holds three grams of water. So if you're having quite a lot of carbohydrates up until fight week, you just removing carbohydrates from your diet can you can lose up to depending on the size of the athlete you can lose maybe you know one to three kilograms fiber for example fiber gets stuck in your your gi tract move move fiber on fight week that's potentially a kilo lost you don't have much salt that's another maybe half a kilo kilo water load maybe another kilo so you can lose i technically call it it's, it's not really free weight but it's it's not actual tissue so it's just water weight but what a lot of fighters do is the the carb restrict like straight away. You don't have any fiber. You just eat protein and veg. So when it comes to fight week, like right, I've got six kilos to lose. It's like where where are you getting that where are you getting that weight from? Like the only the only way you're going to get that is from really dehydrating yourself, and that's that's the big problem. Is is 
is as I, as I've mentioned before, it is the education of like right. You really need to be eating really well up until one week out, and then just by manipulating um, carbohydrate fiber, you can lose a lot of you know free weight. Mm. So uh, in terms going back to your question, in terms of what is a what is a safe thing? So fight week, no more than ten percent of your body weight, but that's also dependent on what you're doing before in the weeks beforehand. Um, but the more time you've got to prepare, the better. But I, I've had some guys come to me and say they need to lose sixteen kilos in eight weeks, and I was just like, look, like it's that's it's not going to be a good cut, and and it's also with my practice as well. I'm about health and safety first, so. Mm. You know, you try and advise a fighter not to do that. But the unfortunate thing, especially in my sort of area, because I work a lot with online clients remotely, like they're gonna listen to their coach over me, if that makes sense. If like the guy, like the guy that they see every day in train, they're gonna and, and he says, Well, you, you have to fight it that way, they're gonna do it anyway. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a, a weird scenario to get them, but luckily I haven't had any real, real drastic cuts or anyone that's come up to me and had a really bad diet anyway but um, it, it, it definitely does happen but uh, fight, fight week no, no more than 10 no more than 10% I'd even go closer to 8% of your body weight from fight week sounds reasonable no more than 10% and then sorry someone's just moving chairs around in the gym uh, as I was saying, that's all. That's, that's what I, was saying. Uh, I lost my trail for pardon me uh, okay so no more than 10% 8, roughly 8% usually and then now it's obviously I would I would assume that usually every fighter is different I would assume that you know every case you get is sort of different but is there like certain guidelines that you like like to follow when it comes to a, as a overall uh, as an overall strategy when it comes to most fighters? Yeah, I, what, I, what I'd like to mention, just going back to what I said before, yeah. then strategies are only really suitable if you have a neck, um, the weigh-ins 24 to 36 hours um, before fight. If it's obviously a, a BJJ comp and it's same-day weigh-in, that, that's yeah. when a different strategy comes into place in amateur boxing. So, Generally, like most of my work is with MMA, Muay Thai, so that's the kind of strategy I use. But it's a it's a little bit different when you go into the amateur boxing and the BJJ comps. But uh, in terms of what process I go for, um, typically I go for a, what approach called the three two one approach for 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 the general fight camp. So um, three grams per kilogram of body mass for carbohydrates. You want to keep protein two grams per kilogram and you want to keep fat at one gram per kilogram. And that's roughly around your rest of metabolic rate a little bit more. But obviously, it, it's not just like that's not set in stone. We'll tailor it around, say, if a guy has two sessions or three sessions a day, we'll, we'll bump the carbs up and increase the protein a little bit more. But when it's a lower day, we drop the carbs, increase the protein, increase the fat. And when there's a rest day, there's not that much emphasis for having them carbohydrates. So it's all really like, I like to call it like feel for the work required. So you just really tailor it around what their what their training schedule is like. Wow. Okay. So the three, two, one approach, three grams yeah. of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight, uh, two yeah. grams of protein per kilogram of body weight, and one gram of fats. Uh, yeah. So 
that's actually that from obviously from a personal trans perspective that actually sounds very very logical and all that now uh amongst a fighter uh obviously they it's quite difficult for them to constantly be getting in the food considering they some guys that i know spend up to like sometimes five to six hours a day just training and that's a big yeah. chunk of time that's actually a whole school day pretty much you know like yeah. training and uh so obviously sometimes some point down the line they're going to be taking a lot of supplements or taking some supplements uh now in this day and age you know there's like supplements for everything and I've had a couple of nutritionists uh, come on the podcast before. We had Mackenzie Baker, and he sort of broke down the supplement of collagen and why it's not really, you know, an effective or at least there's a complete lack of uh, market, uh, so a complete lack of evidence to support it. But now I want to ask you from your perspective, also for fighting on a fighting context, what are some supplements you would recommend to fighters from a broad spectrum? Okay, so I, I same again. I like to keep it as same with the three T one approach. I like to keep it as simple as possible. So first one, whey protein, but you know, obviously to hit them protein targets. But if you're getting the food that you're getting that protein through food, that's no problem. Secondly, creatine, because creatine is probably the most researched supplement, and in terms of high intensity sports, the lane fatigue also um gains in muscle mass potentially um, but a big myth about the creatine is like oh you know the water the, the increase you know water weight but that's only that's a bit of a like that's a bit of like a, a thing with, with combat athletes when I recommend creatine like oh we want to put any water weight but that is slightly a myth because it's only really initial there's initial increase in water weight that drops off um, after a few weeks so creatine just flipping it's the most researched supplement out there, especially in high-intensity sports. Um, fish oils, I'm, I'm a big fan of fish oils just for the anti-inflammatory properties. Obviously, you're getting a lot of, you know, a lot of collisions or hits, you know, you know muscle, jam- muscle damage. Um, but same again, if you're getting a, a good portion of, you know, good fatty fish a week, a couple of, couple of servings a week, there's not much need for it. Um, also, beta-alanine. There's a lot of good research on beta-alanine as like a buffer in your muscles to delay the buildup of, I would say, lactic acid, make it break it down a little bit simpler. Um, and that's also well-researched in high-intensity sports, so you'd recommend that. But the only downside to that is it's a four-week loading phase, okay. and you have to take six, six grams a day for four weeks. So a lot of times, well, I've found in the past when I've recommended it, people often forget. <laughs> Yeah. You take your B-salonine, so like, oh, yeah, I forgot. So, like, you can't really take it spontaneously. Um, but it's uh, not... It, sorry, I just it's not to ask, six, six grams a day of B-salonine? Yeah, six yeah. grams. So it's a loading phase, around six, it's around 6.4 grams a day. Um, so it's better to, to split it into, like, four doses across the day. So maybe, like, you know, 1.2 grams when you drink in the morning, one in the afternoon, because... There's associated paresthesia with it, like pins and needles. So a lot of a lot of guys complain like when they have beats on you get that sort of pins and needles feeling. Um, but I, it's, the thing is with supplements for me is like I try and keep I just try and keep it simple. Like the, you, you can you can go into a realm of like all these, you know, the multivitamins and this and that. But if you're getting the right foods in your diet and you're hitting the protein side of the foods. It's only really beta alanine and creatine that you're not really getting 
the adequate amounts of food. So they're the two perform. I, I try to break it down into performance, health, and protein. So protein, whey protein, even some casein as well. And performance, creating desalinine, and then health, and some fish oils. Mm-hmm. What about uh, your take on caffeine, considering, you know... I'm oh, yeah, so, so I, that's one I actually missed yeah. out on caffeine. Um, yeah, so, yeah, caffeine's good. However, um, what I am worried about is, because a lot of fighters train in the evening time, mm. and you don't really want to recommend taking, you know, because the recommended dose for caffeine is, is between three and six milligrams per kilogram of body mass. So say it's a 70, 70 kilo guy, it sounds like for this. So that's like, I think a kind of Red Bull's only 80 mil, a cup of coffee's around 140 mil. So to get like a real, to get the, the, the recommended dose, it's quite a high dose and, you know, sleep could be affected and, you know, you know, as, as I said, many many fighters train in the evening and they got a morning session. So it's a little bit of an area where, like, if he, ha- I recommend it in the morning times, but even not not so much. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing as well. When it comes to my clients. Um, I'm training a lot. I usually train a lot of young men, and uh, one of the top top discussions we love to have is like pre workout. And I say, look, if you if you if you're someone. You know, who he's trying to get the most out of his workouts. You feel like you're hitting your plateau. You never have to work up before yet. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Um, uh, just remember, I'm not a nutritionist. You know, that's why I talk to people like you to get educated more on this nutrition. I always say creatine, man. Creatine is always the number one go-to. If you're going to take it, don't expect results straight away. Get used to it. Get in the loading phase. Uh, but there's so much benefits to it as well. And then yeah. the thing is, the, the, but the best thing about uh, pre-workout these days is that they stick a lot of beta alamine and they stick a lot of creatine. They stick a fair bit of creatine in a lot of uh, pre-workout, pre-workouts nowadays. So it's all into yeah. one. So make sure, again, you understand what your clinical dose is and how much you should be taking. So that's why I was asking you about, okay, grams, yeah. grams. Uh, and I always tell them, look, if you're going to take it, make sure you, just a rule of thumb, take it before three o'clock, really, because yeah. then you've got at least a three-hour gap to before 6 p.m. and then I don't know what time you usually go to sleep like eight or nine so you've had at least yeah. a good three four five hours because depending on how much you can take it can stay in the system for a while uh yeah I think it's got a half-life of around four hours I think caffeine something like that so yeah around like three o'clock like I'd say that would that, that's a good source of real fun but um <laughs> the thing is with 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 combat athletes some some of them like caffeine anyway and they'll, they'll take it at six o'clock regardless so it's like you know you can re- sometimes you can recommend the best way and then you'll still do it anyway <laughs> interesting okay fair enough um well one thing i also wanted to talk to you about is like uh creating what is, what is the studies out there right now about creating and preventing concussions i uh i've heard a few uh heard a few uh I haven't read much to say, but I've had a few conversations with uh, fighters. They say, but they believe that they take creatine before a fight because in the unlikely event they get knocked out, you know, it prevents concussion because, you know, there's a lack of fluid in their body. And yeah. then, I don't know, the brain's like got less, the head's got less fluid in there. So the brain's more likely to wobble around as they would say, when they yeah. were hit. Is that, what's your, what's your take on that? I think that there's a couple of studies on there um, in terms of, also in terms of like cognitive function for fighters. So I think there's a study with, um, I think it was female Muay Thai fighters and they had creatine, like five grams of creatine for 
you know, a load like seven days or something like that. And they found like the performance, it was like a skill, like a, a kicking and punching skills test and the, the, the cognitive performance include, um, improved. But in terms of the concussion thing, it does seem it's, it's a rational idea where, you know, there's more water in the brain and, you know, it's technically, I, I always say like a rock and a cup analogy, you know, you put a rock, a, a rock in water, a cup of water, shake it around, it's a little bit of a cushion, but, you know, if you put a rock in a, an empty glass, you shake it around, it's, it bangs around. So there is, um, there's a rationale behind it, but still in terms of research, there's, there's still a lot more research to be done in regards to that. Um, there's also really good um, stuff on, um, it's called CTE. I, I, it's called chronic traumatic. I can never say the last bit of it. It's like really, it's called CTE. Yeah, endopathy. Yeah, endopathy. Oh my God. Yeah. I watched that movie, Concussion, starring Will Smith, and they wrote down the whole thing. And then I was just thinking, wait, wait, wait. That's what I was standing back to. Yeah. Yeah, go on, you were saying? Yeah, so there's a there's a good bit of research on that now in terms of um like it's, it was te- it was originally called punch drunk syndrome and the terms of boxers and there's a there's a lot of um, good research on that in terms of you know the long term effects of getting consistent you know hits to the head. That's why I, as I mentioned a couple of times, that's why it's really it's a really good area to be in because there's there's constant research coming out on that on, on this area and hopefully in like a few years time there'll be like a really good like case study about like about the effects of you know you know repeated concussions and, and the effects of like CTE in, in combat sports. But in terms of in terms of like research, it's still a little bit sort of um I wouldn't say lacking, but there's still more research to be done to give it a definitive um like recommendation. I see. Interesting. But, that, but that's a, but that's the also cool thing going back into terms of like dehydration. So when we're talking about um, fight week, um, you don't really want to be losing more than two percent of your body weight from um, like water losses. You know, like if you're sitting in like a hot bath or any any sort of passive or active dehydration. So a lot of fighters, you know, cut a lot more than that two percent. They go into five. You know, they go into more. You know, five plus percent. And what the research is showing now is that, you know, when you're, you know, look at the body in like three fluid compartments. So first one's like fluid in you know, the blood, the plasma and circulation. And then there's a fluid in, it's called the extracellular fluid, which is like fluid in between the cells. And then intercellular fluid is like fluid, you know, in your kidney cells, your brain cells. And when you're going into more, into a more dehydrated state, the, the body's pulling water from them areas, like the, the brains and the kidneys. And we don't really know how long that takes to get back, regardless of any rehydration strategy, how long it actually takes to get back into them cells. So a guy, So a guy could, for example, lose five plus percent of his body weight through dehydration, have adequate rehydration strategy tailored around what he's lost. And um, rule of thumb, so any... For every kilo that you lose, you times it by 1.5, and that's your fluid recommendation. So, you know, if you lose a, lose a kilo, you have 1.5 liters of fluid. That makes sense. Interesting. So, so like, hopefully, I got this correctly. Um, just sum up, like, yeah, if you're losing weight, you don't want to be losing more than we said two percent on fight week. 
Yeah, not in terms of like if you're losing that through water losses, through yeah. like dehydration. So yeah, so you don't yeah. really want to be tapping into like you know five plus percent because you know you could you could lose you know five percent of your body weight the night before through sitting in a straw and a hot bath. You have the adequate rehydration fuel, mm-hmm. but there's research to show that you may still be dehydrated regardless because that fluid hasn't had enough time to get back into the you know, the, the main important cells like the brain. So uh, that's a big thing about concussion. So a guy might go, I've, I lost 5%. I had the fuel. I'm, I'm rehydrated. And he could still be potentially dehydrated in his brain cells. So then he's more prone to concussion when it comes to a fight. I see. Interesting. Yeah, so that makes sense. <laughs> that, that does make sense. So there's a lack of research or none on how long it takes for, you know, to yeah. rehydrate, you lose uh, water from the brain or from the kidneys. That'd be a yeah, so it, measure too. Yeah, so I think um, there's been studies on it where it could take up to like three days, but it's all depends. A lot of the studies were done on like military personnel, so like dehydration while they're out on like, um, like missions and that kind of thing. So there's no real, you, you can not really give a definitive answer to say like you're going plus you know five plus percent of dehydration in your body weight you can't give a real recommend you can't really say right you just you drink that fluid that'll definitely get back into them cells because there's there's not really much research on it so that's why the recommendation in terms of like two percent you know two percent to your body weight through water losses is not really going to be haven't have many health consequences because you can refuel that because you're, you're only really pulling water from your blood, your circulation. As I said, if you're getting into them, you know, five plus percent, you're pulling water from the kidneys, the brain. That's what I'm even referencing on, referencing on the, oh, what's happening? Sorry. Even referencing on the, the study I was talking about before, about the guy had the acute kidney damage. That's mm. probably due to he was so dehydrated, he pulled that much water from, from there. That's wow. a that's a anecdotal. That's a that, that's an anecdotal um, guess. Like, but yeah, that's really good, man. That's that's, that's actually really interesting. I never I never knew about that. Anyway, man, I'm really sorry about this, but we're um, we're getting really really pressed for time. I've got to move on. Yeah, so well. but l- listen, just a couple of things. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely gonna get you back on very soon. I mean, I had a whole bunch of things that I get to ask you, but uh, really like what you're doing. Now, if my audience wants to find you or follow you, where can they do so? Um, best way to follow me or contact me is through my Instagram page, Condition Not Nutrition. Um, I'm always active on social media. So if you ever want to hit me up or ask for any advice, I'm happy to, to talk. And yeah, um, that's probably the best way to contact me through there. Or if, the, if people aren't very Instagram savvy, my email is conditionnutrition at yahoo.com. Um, all one word and yeah I'm um, happy to chat and give some advice awesome guys so any other fighters listening out there they got a fight coming up I recommend you go to Pete Miller at Condition Nutrition anyway man thank you so much for coming on I will get you back on no very, problem, my very pleasure. soon all the best my man take care Bye-bye. thanks mate